This year marks a decade since Vanguard's life strategy range launched in the UK. And to say the passive funds had proven popular would be to downplay the situation. The five multi-asset funds are now worth £29 billion, and earlier this year their monthly inflows hit £1 billion. But the life strategy range, which costs just 22 basis points, isn't just popular with investors. Advisors have also flocked to the range over the course of the past decade, integrating it into their propositions. So what effects this had? Has life strategy changed the way advice is delivered? And has it always been for the better? I'm Damien Fantato, Digital Editor of FT Advisor, and with me to discuss this are Graham Bentley, Managing Director of GBI2, and Mike Barrett, Consulting Director at the Lancat. Hello both. Morning. Good morning. So, so we can start with um, some of the basics. I've mentioned some numbers there um, about how uh, popular life strategies in general. But uh, Mike, uh, how popular would you say that life strategy is among financial advisors? Yeah, I think that the numbers are pretty staggering. Uh, um, like you, when preparing for this, looking looking at some of the numbers, and they're pretty big. So around about thirty billion in the whole in the entire range means that. In the advice space, there's probably only about eight or nine platforms with more AUA in total across all funds than, than the life strategy range. On the direct consumer side, it's way more than probably all of the robo and the digital advisors offering kind of packaged solutions to, to, to investors, probably more than all of them combined and doubled, um, to, to say the least. So, yeah, they're very, very popular. And our research shows with, with advisors that it's um, when an advisor decides to use a single fund, a multi-asset, multi-manager fund with, with their clients, it has an extraordinarily dominant position. Um, so um, with that particular client needs, 73% of our advice panel will use Vanguard Life Strategy to meet those for the needs that particular client need. Mm. Graham, are you seeing that as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it, about how popular this is. I mean, the, um, your introduction said 29 billion, Mike said 30 billion, my last measure was 33 billion. Uh, this thing's clearly rising by over a billion a month at the moment. And frankly, you know, you can understand why advisors um, would look favorably on this. Um, Vanguard has a brand now which is um, probably uh, better known amongst your average investor. Um, and first-time investor than probably any other brand. Um, it's easy to understand. Uh, does the job fit perfectly with advisors' um, risk um, analysis process and, and so on? Um, and it's now got a 10-year track record, and, and you'd be hard-pressed as an active manager um, sometimes to get anywhere near the returns that, that Vanguard have had. So, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy for um, advisors now. Use it and you'll be successful. Yeah, Graham, you mentioned um, a few reasons why advisors like to use uh, life strategy. Are there things that maybe it doesn't do particularly well, that some of its competitors do better? Um, is it all it's cracked up to be in every aspect of what advisors might need? I think one of the arguments that's made um, by advisors uh, is that um, you know if you don't want to add some layer of sophistication by using a, uh, a model portfolio service or whatever um, that that life strategy that fits the bill it's relatively cheap 
And quite often the comparator is made with what a, an actively managed multi-asset fund might, uh, might charge. Um, but then again, there are people like Bank of Montreal and so on that have a multi-asset range that's directly invested, actively managed and has 29 basis points price. So, you know, it is possible to get active um, at, a, at a more reasonable price. I think the key thing is that it's easy to understand. Um, it, you know, the 60-40 split and so on. Now, that we'll probably talk about this later. That will come back to bite people, I think. Um, but for the last 10 years, um, it's been a very sweet spot for this type of investment. Um, I don't think there's anything that they do badly. I don't think there's anything that anyone else does um, particularly better in that sphere. And then, Mike, what are the um, sort of main pros and cons of, of using a life strategy as an advisor from your perspective? So I think the, the the clear dynamic we see in pretty much every advice firm and certainly any advice firm with any sort of scale is that they'll be running a centralized investment proposition. So um, we've mentioned already kind of model portfolios. There could be discretionary solutions, different segments of clients with um, different investment solutions to meet those needs. We see, as I said, pretty much every advice firm will be running some sort of centralized investment proposition. On the on the kind of the model portfolio side, if they're outsourcing those model portfolios, our research shows a pretty saturated market. Um, so we have over ten providers who will have over ten percent market share um, on our on our research panel, which was over five hundred firms we researched for us. So pretty good good sample size. And obviously, advisors can and will use more than one outsourced partner to, for, for different reasons, different clients, whatever that can be. But yeah, lo- lots and lots of providers and the market leader in that on that particular side, on the NPS side, for, um, based on our research, is Bruin Dolphin with a 25% share. So 25% of advice firms we use Bruin. We ask exactly the same question on the multi-asset side, and it's 73% of firms are using Vanguard's life strategy. And then the next, I think, from memory is Elgin, with something like 20% of firms will be using Elgin's uh, multi-asset range. So I completely agree with Graham. It's kind of it's kind of redefined the landscape. So they're not that that dominance has. I've I've seen firms now. It's um, they start to use life strategy, um, rightly or wrongly, perhaps as kind of the, if not a formal benchmark, but certainly a kind of a mental benchmark for price, for performance. And yeah, it's redefined what a multi-asset fund should 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 cost. And yeah, hugely, hugely dominant position they've, they've got. Mm. And Mike, to what extent has that uh, dominance um, in changed the way that advisors might operate uh, you know, in terms of their business and the way they provide advice? Yeah, there's, there's still, um, uh, I mean, kind of take, taking you, you behind the curtain here. I've known Graham for a long time and I can remember having conversations with him, oh, at least 15 years ago about um, in, yeah, the, the issues and the advisors and the perception that advisors might have investing their clients into a single fund and getting one line on the valuation and all of those types of things. So there's still a little bit of that out there with 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 advisors. But actually, I know firms who have really bought into this and um, are taking a um, and in, in a lot of cases, this is kind of driven through prod and the suitability work as well. A real 
yeah, really focusing on the investment needs. What does my client actually need from this investment? I know firms who use Vanguard Life Strategy for their most wealthy clients, where their clients are so wealthy that all they're going to do is stay invested until they die. And they just need to stay invested intelligently at a low cost. They don't need complexity. They don't need low kind of extra alpha coming out of their portfolio, whatever that, that might be. Um, and yeah, they're using yeah life strategy kind of tops and tails their clients, their client portfolio. They'll use it for their simple clients accumulating, but they also, as I said, they'll use it for their most wealthy clients who just stay invested intelligently. Mm. Graham, what do you think? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I could probably remember those conversations, Mike. Um, it, it's I think what's happened since um, is that there are a number of advisors who believe that um, because they're running a model portfolio service, um, or, or more accurately, um, because they're charging um, in a particular way based on um, the capital, that they're looking after, um, that, that, that an NPS sort of justifies your involvement. Um, you're making decisions, you're doing whatever it is you're doing, which demands um, some of those fees. Um, I think the, the, the point that Mike was making when we had that discussion a long time ago was um, how would clients feel if they saw that one line on um, a valuation report and think, are you working hard? Um, I don't think that's the case so much now. I mean, for example, my, my mother-in-law, this sounds like an introduction to a joke, uh, but it's not. My, my um, mother and father-in-law um, had an inheritance, and all of that is in um, Vanguard um, life strategy, 60-40. Um, it, it's just dead easy for them to understand. It's one thing to look at. They look at a single price. They can look at that price in a variety of different places. Um, other than waiting for a valuation. Um, I've got golfing buddies who have been self-invested, and when you ask them where they're doing it, they say they're doing it with Vanguard. You know, they've seen the advert at the, at the cinema, TV, whatever it is, um, and it looks to them like a trusted brand. So it sort of transcends the, the normal issues that we've had with financial services about uh, sort of the mysteries and arcane practices and so on. Um, for a lot of people, Vanguard sort of simplifies and makes transparent what um, investment management should be all about. Um, and, and you can understand why, you know, your, your average first-time investor, for example, uh, might find that attractive. But as Mike says, you know, you can have very wealthy clients who just say, look, I've got a life to get on with. Um, I, you know, I'm not an investment expert, despite having a lot of money, so this this arrangement suits me fine. Mm. That's sort of perhaps one of the questions I, I was going to ha have for you, Graham, which is that some one of the things that sometimes the FCA takes against is when advisors do things to make with with the explicit aim of making their lives easier. So, for example, you know, just having you know having choosing a particular platform because it's in the interest of the advisor rather than in in the interests of um, of necessarily the client, and so I, my question, I suppose, is: Are you, are you are advisors using the life strategy because it's making their lives easier, or because the clients are genuinely getting something out of this, Graham? Um, I, they, they may be doing it because it makes their life easier, but um, the outcome is what counts. 
Um, and if you look at the 10-year history of, um, of all of those funds, I mean, I, I, I think I'm right in saying that the 20% life strategy return um, is very close to what the all share has been if you invested 100% in UK equities. Um, so, you know, there isn't really a, um, an, a, a client out there yet that can complain, although recent performance will, um, will maybe be making people have a little bit more interest in um, how performance is likely to go forward. But certainly historically, you couldn't argue that anyone having made that decision for a client um, had given them anything other than a satisfactory outcome. Uh, Mike, what's your perspective on, on that? Yeah, I think the, um, the there's no doubt that using a, a single fund is, is going to be operationally a lot, a lot more easy for, for, for the advisor. But um, as long as client suitability is is seen to be the driving factor and the most important thing within the advice business, then if there's a win-win there where this is good for the client and as Graham says, the outcomes have been good, and it's operationally makes sense for the for the advice firm. Then I don't see that as being a bad thing at all. Um, I think the yeah the operational side of, of running your own model portfolios, aside from kind of whether or not you actually have the skill set and the experience and the knowledge to be able to to, to perform as a, as an investment manager, yeah, the operational impacts into an advice firm have always been pretty tricky and get incrementally worse every time you add a client into your model portfolio. And then MIFID came along and raised the bar quite considerably two or three years ago on that as well. So um, it's it, it's kind of part of a wider trend to to, to outsource investment decisions, whether that's to uh, a model portfolio service or to, to a multi-asset fund such as Vanguard. Mm. And Mike, you mentioned a few numbers earlier to illustrate um, Vanguard's dominance. Um, at what point does that um, become a bad thing, uh, either, for, either for advisors or, or indeed for Vanguard itself? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting area to, to assess and consider. So, um, I mean, we've talked about it um, in the podcast already, kind of the brand recognition that's there. I, I When I watch Sky Sports in the evening, if, if I'm not being bombarded with adverts for hair loss or something other, some other horrific thing that I can expect in my as I move into my 50s, I see I see adverts for Vanguard um, and loads of people giving the V sign to me or whatever, whatever it is. Um, I know I know advice firms, I know advisors who deliberately do not use the likes of AJ Bell, Aviva and others who have that kind of direct client presence and in some cases marketing directly to clients, whatever it might be due to fears of, of, of channel clash. Um, it's a debate for another day about whether you think that's, that's an appropriate thing to be doing or not. But there is undoubtedly that concern in other with other providers that this this provider is marketing directly to my clients they're going to steal my my clients is is a fairly oft um heard heard comment um you don't hear that with vanguard um and interestingly as well you don't hear that with vanguard despite their focus on price and cost and the importance of cost control and all those assets that are on advised platforms um, almost certainly you could get it, you could have the custody, you could hold it on a platform cheaper if you moved it directly to to, to Vanguard. Um, yeah, as I said, the the there's virtually no concern we hear from advisors about channel conflict, um, which is 
polar opposite to other providers I could mention. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think, if I may, um, that that you can you can understand why um, advisors don't fear it. It's almost like saying you know, Vanguard is so big um, that if I happen to be um, a, an IFA in a small town um, in the Midlands somewhere, why would Vanguard have any care about um, taking on my clients? And, and I think the point is that Vanguard has become so huge. Uh, that there's an anonymity, if you like, about um, advisors' clients that Vanguard wouldn't come anywhere near and probably wouldn't be that bothered about given the amount of business that they take in. So given that the solution fits the client and suits the advisor, um, you wouldn't um, have any fears really um, about you know, having your client stolen as opposed to a smaller business um, that is trying to increase its exposure, um, who you might feel might sink to those sorts of debts. Um, yeah, you know that typically people don't. Um, but of course, this is a, a natural fear, particularly from smaller advisor businesses. And I think you see that on the global scale. So Vanguard, obviously, at a global scale, if, what do we say? They're writing a billion a month into into life strategy in the UK. They're, they're doing a billion a day into their ETFs in the States at, at the moment. So I think you look at it on that, on that context. But no, I just I just think it's interesting, and particularly with the, the, the move to obviously now offering advice through the V. The, the Vanguard advice service as well, which is very, very low key. And it's it's obviously not not a full-on financial planning service, very restricted, et cetera, et cetera. So a quite clear blue water between that and the type of financial planning experience that clients will get typically through an advice service. But as I said, I, I, I struggle to find any advisor who has, who has any concerns with that whatsoever. Mm. I, I, I was going to ask that, Mike, actually. Um, do you think that the Vanguard's move into advice is going to have any impact on that? Frankly, I think any advisor who loses a client to that um, probably deserves to because they're not doing a good job. Um, if, the, the, as I said, the type of experience, the type of um, relationship that pretty much every advisor I've known for a, for the last ten years have with their clients and. Yeah, much more holistic financial planning across generations, and yeah, helping clients through 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 the type of complexity which Vanguard clearly signposts that that that's not what they're there for. Um, yeah, I'd be astonished if many advice firm clients lose lose a client that way. Graham, you mentioned a little earlier some of the issues surrounding life strategies asset allocation. Are those going to present problems for advisors, particularly if they continue to use such a great? Um, uh, in such great numbers, I, I, I think the issue here now is um, where Vanguard has been an easy option in the sense of saying, "Look, the investment manager looks after this. It's not my job to do it. I put this money away. It's done very well. Um, I see no reason why it wouldn't continue to do well." Uh, but that ignores the fact that um, you know the investment managers can, tr- can can control what's in the fund, but they can't control the market. Um, some would argue that Vanguard thinks it can, but um, that aside, you know the world is very much changing. We know that um, interest rates are going to rise at some point. Um, we know that inflation is a problem, be it transitory or longer term. Uh, but either way, that's having a quite uh, well currently negative impact on bonds, which is likely to be exacerbated um, over time if these fears um, are realised. 
Now, when you look at the asset allocation, um, you have what we know is a very expensive market, the US. Um, pretty much now, I think that um, the equity proportion is getting on for um, 50%, 55% US. Um, so you're buying an expensive market. It means that um, the life strategy equity proportion is 25% technology. Now, you know, you've got a lot of um, focus there on a relatively small area rather than the spread of risk that the client thinks they're getting. All of those indices are very much focused on um, large cap. There's a little bit of exposure to FTSE 250 um, in the equity portion, but virtually nothing to smaller companies. Um, you've got a bond duration which is very long. You're, you're looking at um, nine, ten year duration in their bond portfolios. Whereas typically now people are, are recognizing that that's very interest rate sensitive. Uh, but Vanguard have said that's a static. You know, that isn't going to change. Um, so quite clearly, um, that makes them very interest rate sensitive. And people who have got relatively heavy bond exposures, who believe that that's a balancing item to help them reduce risk, might find um, that their opinion of the investment that they've got changes dramatically over the next two years. And I'm not sure that there are a great number of advisors that use Vanguard life strategy without thinking about it are prepared for that or have prepared their clients for that or indeed understand at all what those issues are. Do you think that, I mean, this is one of the, um, one of the criticisms that sometimes made of life strategy is the, is the home bias um, aspect of it. In It tilts towards the UK, um, um, over, overweight to the UK. It, it, do you think, Graham, that people particularly care? It's continued to grow. Uh, well, uh, yeah, of course they don't care when it's doing well. <laughs> um, and you could make an argument, um, and it's an argument that I've made personally as well, that um, the UK is very cheap. Um, on a forward PE basis, the UK is about 14, which is historically very low. And there may be very good reasons for that, but sort of, you know, hopefully the vaccine numbers and the COVID numbers will um, sort of demonstrate that maybe the UK is being seen as very cheap, but the US is very expensive. And as I say, that's a um, 50-odd percent weight. Now, when you add those together from an equity portion, that's basically saying, you, you know, you've got something like 80% of your money in the US and the UK and almost being ignorant of the rest of the world. Now, um, if you compare that with, say, distribution technology or any other number of asset allocation models that um, clients use, say, for their MPS, um, that is very different from what they're using. And so I can see a, a dichotomy here with people with centralized investment propositions that use those external asset allocation models, then having to explain why it is that the clients that they put into life strategy um, have got very different allocations and very different sets of risks than what they're seeing in their model portfolio services. And I do think there is a significant number of um, advisors who haven't sort of um, squared that circle. Mike, what's your uh, opinion on this? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think the I think the danger is you're kind of, it's the old investment thing, you're kind of looking too much in the rear view mirror and looking too much at the, the performance, the returns that this thing, whatever this thing is you're invested in has, has generated. Um, 
I, th- I think actually this is I think this is an important discussion of, around yeah this is a significantly important investment for well 32 billion or so <laughs> however much it is invested in it but there's a lot of people's money tied up in this thing and as a result it's it's quite important for the general perception of of of, of investing in the investment industry uh, across the board there's I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of people who this is kind of their, this is their first experience of investing and and they're, they're pretty happy with what's happened. But I just think it. I, I know a lot of advisors are just listening to these these the type of conversation we've had in the last five minutes and the um, yeah just starting to look and consider what what the next few years might be like. If nothing else, it's um, it's a fairly kind of common how to compete tactic from some of some of the rival fund managers kind of just sowing these seeds in advisors minds but I, I think there's a little bit more to it than that rather than just kind of salesmen bashing the competition i just think that the, the scale of it requires um a, probably an additional level of due diligence and, and care just to make sure that yeah something really horrible doesn't happen to 32 billion of investments I think the, um, the, the, the key point is a lot of advisors have come into this industry on the investment side in the last 10 to 12 years, i.e. since 2009, um, and they've seen probably the longest bull market and in particular the longest uh, business cycle probably in history. So that becomes your experience. It's like when you go abroad for the first time and um, you, know, you see all that sunshine, you think it's like that all the time. And so you dress for that, um, but it depends what time of year you go, of course. And similarly here, we've had this long period that um, will feel like it's always like this when I invest with Vanguard. Um, and it just happens that the static asset allocation that they've had has fitted almost perfectly um, market conditions. Those market conditions are quite clearly changing. Now, the question is, if Vanguard doesn't change, and it may very well, but currently, you know, it says, no, these are static long-term asset allocations. Um, How much um, negative performance will be required before um, advisors and their clients start to think differently about these funds? And the thing is, a reputation um, takes a long time to build, but takes seconds to lose. And that must be in Vanguard's mind. I can't see that asset allocation staying as it is. Um, and if it does, then it sort of brings into question to what degree um, that is really managed and how much it is simply a fixed product. And, and what other, Graham, what other challenges do you think um, life strategies is likely to face? Um, for example, you know, they've got a lot more competitors now than they had um, when they started out uh, 10 years ago from BlackRock um, Fidelity, as I mentioned at the beginning? Uh, I, I, I think, you know, they're, they're in a great position. They have the brand. They have, you know, they've had the success track record. Um, and, and they don't feel like, to an advice to a, a client, they don't feel like a um, this sort of monolithic type. We know it is, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like a, a friendly brand. Um, I have to say, with all due respect to BlackRock, BlackRock is a monolith um, and is less likely to have, um, if you like, uh, warm, cuddly feelings from clients that um, Vanguard is. Um, So I think Vanguard are in a very good position on that score from competitors. It's now a question of whether they can 
refit their um, their cloth to the conditions. Uh, I mean, the, if you look back um, ten years ago, sort of when this started, the um, yield on the duration on a gilt uh, was seven. It's twelve now. You know, but bonds are much riskier now than they were then. And those things haven't changed. And we've had this long, long, long period of falling interest rates, 30 years of it. Uh, and in particular, 10 years of astonishingly low interest rates um, and inflation rates. Um, the world is changing. The demographic of the world is changing. There are going to be far more retirees who are not producing, far less people who are producing. So inflation just by demographic forces, has to rise over the next 20 years. And the question is, if you're a bondholder, um, are you comfortable with that? Because it means your income stream is worth less in terms of what it can purchase. Yields have to rise to compensate, and as a consequence, for prices fall. So on that basis, um, you know, we have a, I hesitate to say, new paradigm but certainly um, advisors and their clients need to start thinking about conditions as they really are now as opposed to conditions that we had 10 years ago. And Mike, what do you think? Um, not a lot to, to, uh, to add beyond that, really. I, I think the um, what would cause issues for Vanguard is kind of um, picking our way back through some of the things we discussed. So if performance did start to deteriorate, um, on the advice side, if they did start to kind of get this perception of being being more of a threat than than an ally to advisor businesses, but yeah, no indication that any of that's likely to happen. So um, I think I, I I expect the dominance to, to 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 continue certainly on the on the advice sector and that that segment of clients who are using who are investing this way. Yeah, I expect that dominance to to continue for a, for a quite a while yet. I mean, my, my, my fear, uh, not for Vanguard, but my fear for clients is, um, you know, there were a lot of advisors who put lots of money into property for years. Um, and if you like, that was almost alongside, you know, clients understood that their house prices had gone up and so on and just saw property as a, a great investment. And then suddenly there was this shock to the system. Uh, when you had liquidity issues and and so on and moratoria on funds and it was almost like a, a swathe of advisors suddenly saying I didn't realise this was going to happen or whatever I'm sure a lot would say now with hindsight well of course we did um, but I can see potentially the same issue arising with bonds I this isn't supposed to happen bonds are supposed to be um, much less risky and of course that depends on the external conditions so I think um, there is a requirement for advisors to start to ask questions of the local Vanguard representative, whoever that is, about these fears and then saying, um, are these fears real? Should I be concerned about these? You know, I have a big holding in your funds rather than just buying it without question and without an appropriate due diligence um, process. Interesting. Well, lots of food for thought there for um, advisors who use Vanguard and maybe also for Vanguard uh, itself. Um, thank you very much, um, Graham and Mike, for your time. And uh, thank you very much for listening and tune in again next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. 
In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.